All right, James Gibson, head coach of Energy Standard. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, Brett. Good, good to good to be part of this, mate. Looking forward to our little chat. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And actually, when I first started thinking about doing a podcast, you were the, one of the people that I'd love to chat with. I don't think we do it often enough, but I think if we are going to talk, we may as well let everyone else listen in too, right? Uh, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, I think between us, we've got some pretty good knowledge on sprint swimming, so uh, happy to share. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those um, art forms, sprinting, that is still misunderstood in some respects. I think there are some people around the world that are doing a, a fantastic job with it. It's certainly progressed. And I think you could probably remember a time where sprinting was kind of looked down upon. You were, you were laughed at if you wanted to be a sprinter or you, you didn't work hard enough or people just didn't understand it. So it just didn't have any value, right? No, I think, yeah, I was, I was probably one of the last eras of the, the old school sprinters. If you're a sprinter, you train uh, five, six kilometers a workout uh, to be considered a, a sprinter. But uh, I think, you know, there's, it, it took a lot of uh, coaches like David Marsh, uh, who are very open-minded to push the boundaries on sprint swimming. And I think a lot of uh, us younger coaches uh, probably base a lot of our work on what he did, uh, say, 15, 20 years ago when he built the Auburn sprint program, I remember going over there and I was, I was like, damn, these guys are swimming like 600 meters. That's fine. You know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was a big eye opening experience for me. And, uh, I think, you know, over time, uh, you know, and you look at how professional some of the sprint guys are now, like Florent Manadou and uh, Ben Proud, they're some of the most professional athletes in the world. Um, so this, this, this notion of if you don't swim a lot of yards, you're not professional. You, they put the work in in different areas and uh, really when you watch them train the attention to detail is uh, something quite phenomenal and uh, just really o over time I think you know the swimming society let's call it the swimming society has become more accepting that people are different and uh, there's different ways to swim fast and it's generally not everyone has to swim 6k all out 10 times a week. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting point that you bring up and you use the word professional. What do you think that means these days? What is a professional swimmer? To be honest, it's, it's a very, very, it varies to the individual. Um, it's just from my personal point of view, it's uh, someone that's just engaged in, in their process and engaged in the process to become better. Um, to be honest, I've seen some people will be classed as heavily unprofessional. Um, but in their world and in their mind, they're doing the right thing. They can win Olympic gold medals or world championship gold medals. And uh, I think it's a very loose uh, definition, the word professional. And I think it's very specific to that individual. Like if you ask Anthony Irving what professional is compared to Grant Hackett uh, from back in the days, um, you have two very different answers. And um, I think I'm definitely a coach that embraces the differences in people. Uh, and we and definitely and, and at energy standard we don't have a, a one model fits all that's for sure yeah well, well first of all congratulations on the energy standard performance this year winning the international swim league championship for the first time was a pretty huge honor right i mean it was fantastic like uh, i think especially because on paper we weren't um one of the strongest teams like uh, london was definitely the strongest team on paper and cali condors was second and I just uh, recruited very well early on last year, and I focused. I knew when I from the I had a bit of advantage from the test event that we did in 2017, and I knew that it all revolved around sprint female and sprint male swimmers. So, um, 
you know, we had guys uh, as relay swimmers that can swim 45 from a stand-up. And so I knew we'd recruited really well. And um, just the fact that uh, the meets all came down to, well, I think we won three meets on the skins. Um, I know that, uh, you know, when the LA Current won the US Derby, it was on the skins as well. I think the format and the product was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to expanding it on it this year. And obviously it was a great honour to win the, the first championship. And it was done uh, purely on strategy. Yeah, well, I want to get into that, you know, where it started for you with Energy Standard. But let's go back even a little bit further than that. You, you're you one of the best breaststrokers in the world. You make the final at the um, Athens Olympics in the 100 breaststroke and you win a world championship, um, I believe, in the 50 breaststroke, right? And and so you're you're up there with some of the legends in breaststroke. And then what happens after that? You, re- you decide to retire from swimming at a, at a certain age. And then how did you end up getting into coaching? Well, uh, to be honest, I've got quite a good story. I fell into coaching. You know, I was um, I was at the back end of my career in 2009. And uh, like a lot of older British swimmers, we were hanging on for the London Olympics for our little swan song, uh, mm. just to say goodbye to the sport. And in 2009, I had a pretty massive disc hernia in my back while I was uh, in Marseille, uh, south of France. And uh, I couldn't swim anymore. I had to have surgery on my back. Um, it wasn't one of these disc hernias that you can recover from very quickly. And it became very clear. Um, and it was very apparent that I'd no longer be able to swim what well, I could swim, but I was never going to make a team again. Um, but at that point, I still had sponsors. I still had uh, funding um, guaranteed for a certain period of time. So I, you know, I fell into, to be honest, I fell into a little bit of a depression cycle. Um, mm. it's just you, you go to bed at one, two in the morning, wake up at midnight, day and your life is about 30 minutes of rehab and it you sort of, you go down very very quickly because everything you kind of dreamed of and everything you're working towards is suddenly not there you have no real pressure from finance so you don't really have to go and find a job so you i kind of got stuck in a rut really and um, a good friend of mine uh roman barnier was uh, coaching in marseille and he just uh, took me to one side and basically gave me a right telling off and said uh if you want to stay here and be part of the program, you come and help, you add value, or you bugger off back to uh, UK and go and make other people miserable. And I, I look back at <laughs> that conversation with Romy as uh, definitely one of my life-changing events. And I, I still thank him to this day for helping me get back on my feet. And um, so I just assisted Romy in Marseille for the first, for, for, you know, in t- 2010. Um, and then I had a couple of swimmers working with me that swam, swam really well. Uh, then for just the line, the sort of, so everything, the stars were in alignment. Um, there was a job that come up at the French Centre in, in France. And I got to take that. And I got to work with some, uh, the sprint group there for, from 2010 to 2012. And then, you know, obviously we had some great results in that period. Florent won the Olympics in 2012. And so, yes, I didn't finish my my dream of swimming in London but I got to watch a load of people that win medals there that I got to coach so uh, it was a fitting end to that story and then after 2012 I moved back to England so I was a national sprint coach working as a head coach at a national centre until 2016 and then in 2016 um, I took on this the energy standard challenge uh, the club was predominantly Russian it were, and Ukrainian. It started off in 2012, but we never really had um, a great international presence. And then I was brought in to 
it was a simple task, make this club the best swimming club in the world. And uh, I think I've worked incredibly hard and I've, I've been very fortunate that I've picked, picked up some fantastic staff that work with me who are equally as, you know, they have, they have as much credit for this program working as, as I do. Yeah. Wow. Incredible story. And, and I guess that's just the way it happens. Sometimes you you feel like there's a little bit of luck involved. Uh, you're surrounded by great people and you put in great situations and the stars align. Right. And, and I had a very similar experience with Cesar Cielo in 2008. Uh, I was, I was given a chance by David Marsh to work with a young kid and he wasn't one of the favorites to win gold in, in, in Beijing. And then we ended up, going through the process and there were some certain things that I think led to us or, or sees us particularly winning that event. Talk to us about your work with Flo Manadu in the lead up to 2012. He wasn't one of the favorites and he didn't win from the, you know, lane four. Um, he was on the outside. And so talk to us kind of in the lead up and maybe some things that you felt like gave him a shot to really win the Olympics and maybe people weren't talking about him. Well, he was, you know, to start with, he was just hungry. Uh, and he had these big eyes when he, when he qualified uh, for the Olympics. It was, a, you know, even, even Flo qualifying for the Olympics in 2012 was still a bit of a shock. Hmm. You know, uh, um, he had uh, four of the best freestylers, well, three of the best freestylers in the world. Freddie Busquet was one of them. Fabien Gillo, Amory Laveau was an Olympic medalist in, on the 50 in 2008. So he had to beat some seriously good swimmers. And he made the team by one one hundred. Wow. One one hundredth of a second. Flo made the team, so he swims one one hundred slower. He did not go to London Olympics, and mm. um, so he had an accelerated development. So he made the team, uh, big starry eyes, and he was just excited. You know, at this point in Flo's career, he he just loved everything he he done. And you know what? I'm going to say I'm seeing a lot of that in him now as well. He was just in love with the sport. Uh, come to practice every day with a spring in his step. Nothing. I just loved being around the environment and uh, he just enjoyed getting better. And then as the season went on, he, he progressed, he progressed through. Uh, we made some radical decisions with the training. Like, we are we going for the 50? Let's drop the yardage a little bit and then let's have some fun with this because we've got nothing to lose. And I think these are swimmers that are some of the most dangerous. The, the swimmers that haven't got a lot to lose going into Olympic Games that make drastic decisions in their preparation and if they come off they're going to swim well like Pernille Bloom in 2016 completely changed everything that she was doing and turns up wins the Olympics mm. um so Flo was the same that? just because you, you you know you've got nothing to lose you're not a favorite you you go you go in there uh just to enjoy yourself so we get to the Olympics um he's had a, a average preparation nothing outrageous in the preparation um but he got there and he was loving every minute of it uh, Flo swam the heats, was looked looked uh, looked really really good. He swam the semi final, made the final, and that for him that was amazing. He made the final of the Olympics and he was super happy. So then he come he came in. I always remember he came in on race day and I was like, he's going to win a medal because he was just so cool. It, and I think with the you, we see like Cesar used to. There's certain sprinters that get really aggressive. Mm. And Cesar was one of the favourites to win, and I was watching them all come out for the final. And say that slapping himself, and they're all and they're all looking nervous and tense. Flo walks out with a huge smile and he's waving at the crowd. Yeah. And I was like, and I'm like thinking, this, you know, this this could really happen. And he just went off the start. And he went, but he one one thing we practiced was just maintaining his stroke rate in the last 15. 
And he was so far in front that he just kept it going. And he ended up winning. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a shock that he won, yes. But it wasn't, for me, it wasn't a shock. I thought he was going to win a medal. But I didn't quite expect he'd get his hand on the wall first. Because it was a huge best time as well in the final. But he had, he had nothing to lose. Like Cesar, like, was that similar to Cesar in a way? Yeah, very similar, actually. Yeah, there were, there, he wasn't talked about in the sense that he was one of the favorites for a medal. I think, I think the thing that really changed for him was he got on the podium in the hundred freestyle. Um, he, he he won the bronze medal. He tied with um, Jason Lezak, and and that really changed his thinking. And that was that was twelve hours before the prelim swim of the fifty freestyle at the Olympics is when he actually believed he could he could get on the podium in the 50 freestyle and, and, and in fact thought he could win it. But I think there was no one else at that stage thinking that. And I think it was the same thing for Flo. I remember thinking, well, Flo's a great athlete, but he's not going to win the, the Olympics. There's, there's all these other guys that are going to beat him. And his, his chance may come four years later when he's a little bit more mature and, and ready for the, the, the big time. But one of the things I told Caesar uh, leading into 2008 was, some advice that I'd been given by Alex Popoff. Uh, and I trained with Alex Popoff for a, a few years um, on and off. Uh, and, and Michael Clem was one of my best friends and he was a training partner with Alex. And, and we would sit with Popoff and have conversations. And he told me that his coach, Gennady Turetsky, told him leading into Barcelona, he said, look, you may not win the gold medal here, but why wait another four years? Why wait? for a chance to win it when you can win it now. And that's the advice that I gave to Caesar going into Beijing. I said, look, we, we may not win, but why take a chance on being ready four years from now? Why not just go out and do it now? And why not just back ourselves? No one else is going to back us. So why don't we just go out there and back ourselves and say, let's take it from everybody. And I think that's kind of the, almost the mentality that, um, that flow had, I don't know if he had the mentality, but it was like, I'm just going to enjoy this and take my chances now. I don't want to wait four more years. And I, I hear that excuse sometimes from people like I'm not ready. My time will be four years from now. Instead of just saying, why not just take it now? You know? And, uh, that was, that was one of those swims, both Caesar and flow that is stuck in my memory. I can almost picture it stroke for stroke, you know? No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had a, I had a slightly different story with Flo when, he, when we were getting him ready for the, the final. I had a, actually got a picture of him when he was won a medal when he was seven years old on the podium. And I asked him, um, what did you feel? He was like, I just wanted to win. Just wanted to swim for fun and wanted to win. And that was what we spoke about before he went out to race. Because it's the same thing. And I think we, a lot of time we cloud the athlete. with. Sometimes we over-process the athlete. Um, I know process is a buzzword going around, but sometimes it's over-process and they just want to go and race. And that's what, we, that's what I did with Flo before London. Just clear the head. Why do you want to swim? What did you feel when you were seven years old? You just swimming because it's cool and it's fun. It's the Olympic final. It's the same thing. Nothing changes. And, uh, and, and I like to always bring my athletes back to that. Like, why do we do this? You know, we don't do it because to make us have the pressure on the world. It's not to be endured, it's to be enjoyed. Um, there's one thing, Brad, I just forgot uh, about one thing you asked about, just what we did different with flow. I changed his strokes from bent arm to straight arm with six weeks to go um, uh -huh. before London. Um, that was just a model on Freddie Busquet. Uh, Freddie's probably the greatest straight arm freestyler that I've ever seen. He's from a race in 2010 
uh, went 21-3, was, um, was just exceptional swimming. And I still use Freddie's kind of swim as my base model um, for, for like, just for, I use that as my base for working with any sprint freestyler now, just the connection he had in the core. There's some videos I put on my Instagram months ago, the, uh, um, that video, and it's, you know, that's, that's, that is the gold medal standard. Because that was 2010. That was a transition from suits to shorts. Um, and still, it's, it's still one of the, the, the greatest sprint swims I've ever seen. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, that's one of those races that's just stuck in my mind. Uh, it was actually the semifinals that he did it in. Uh, and I remember my advice to Freddie, uh, I was lucky to be coaching him at that point in time. My, my advice to him during those races were like, let's take the first 35 nice and strong, and then let's just ease down into the wall. And, um, and he just maintained his stroke rate, kind of like what you talked about with, with Manadu, just maintained his tempo. And in his mind, he felt like he eased down, but he was really just maintaining and he swam through the wall. It was the easiest 21-3 I'd seen. And then he comes back the next night and tries to swim faster and went 21-5. And, and it just didn't look like the same swim. It was still very fast and he still won, but uh, it was a lot closer than it should have been. But that 21-3 swim the night before was just perfection. It was He just didn't take a hard stroke. And uh, it's, it's, it's a gorgeous swim and, and certainly one to be modeled off for sure. Yeah, I'd put that, I remember watching it. I was there in the stadium watching it and it, and it looked effortless. And I, the only other 53 I've seen really like that is Ben, ben Proud uh, from the Seta Colli in Rome when he went 21-1. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, same similar sensation. Uh, the feedback from the athlete was, I didn't push. I could have yep. pushed, but then it's yep. that fine line between trying too hard uh, and then you, over, you just, just miss that little bit of catch. You don't hold as much water. Um, but it's the same, same sort of thing, just that, that, that get out. Like how, almost how did that happen? Because that didn't feel particularly, particularly difficult. But it's, championship swimming is, is, is very different, isn't it? Finals of 50s, um, it definitely anything can happen. Yeah, and I was in I was in the stands for that swim with Ben, and I, you're right. It, it it was an effortless swim. It looked beautiful from start to finish. Didn't look like he took a hard stroke, but he was catching so much water. It looked like he was just holding buckets of water on his hands, and uh, looked beautiful. But you're right. So with sprinters, what do you say before uh, a huge race? You know, like the Olympic final or the, the World Championships or something that has real value and meaning to these athletes could really change their lives. You know, as a sprint coach, what are things that you're saying to some of your athletes? Well, it's just um, I, I focus them on really on getting the brain onto the, the details uh, and breaking everything down, um, especially in the warm-ups and everything. It's almost trying to take, not really talk about uh, the race and what it is are past a certain point um, because again if it's the final of the Olympics um, everyone knows and knows that and it's a high pressure race but it's a it, to, to be honest a lot of the stuff I gear my guys through is just is getting them ready for the start um, because the start is so critical when I was working with British Swimming we did a lot of research on start times and uh, performances and sort of every major meet and major competition and it's like if you're not in the top three at 15 meters, it's almost impossible to win the race. And that's in uh, male and female sprinting. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it's highly unlikely. So a lot of work we do in the warm-ups and the preparation is 
how we're going to get off the blocks and sort of transition through our starting to break out as, as efficiently as possible because then we know that that's a has a huge dictation on how the race is going to pan out um and again it's just bringing them back to what makes you special you know and the sprinting is a lot about psychology because when you get to the the world final or olympic final there you know there's, there might be one or two that have a, a little advantage on everyone and obviously caleb dressel has a little advantage on everyone at the minute and it's clear to see um but it's it comes down to who who believes they're going to win who you know they've had a great everyone's if they're in the olympic final they've had a great preparation because if they hadn't they wouldn't be in the olympic final um so it's just about trying to reinforce all the things that every that the athlete is good at and uh making sure they execute the, the efficient things in the race i actually had a funny one with fran Halsell in in 2016 uh, she looked across with 10 meters to go and she was like, she, she saw she was winning and she thought to herself, I'm winning the Olympics. Um, at that point, a little bit changing her technique, leaning into the wall and she ends up missing by six one hundredths of a second. So again, it's, it's less learning the lessons from the past and what other athletes have done. Saying, Just do your thing. At the end of the race, you can think about something else. Yeah. Interesting. It is crazy how that happens, but so we are in the Olympic year and you are coaching some of the uh, Olympic favorites, um, a few of them actually. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just go through a couple of them just one by one and just tell us what makes them special, what makes them great and um, give us a little bit of inside knowledge into maybe the psychology of, of how they prepare. But you know, the first one obviously is the, the world's greatest female swimmer in Sarah Sostrom, you know, you're working with her very closely. What are the things that make her great? Well, so, uh, I'd say as with most uh, great athletes, that Sarah is, is, is typical. She has a desire to get better. And, uh, and Sarah, Sarah, she's just put in a fantastic two week block out here. Um, she has a week, she has a week at home, then she's going to rejoin us again. Um, but she, she has a desire to get better every day and she and you know it's driven by her um there's certain things she wants to work at and it reminds me of she reminds me a little bit of a conversation i had with bob bowman i just i'm gonna go off piece a little bit brett here but um i asked bob at a conference i said and it was after melbourne 07 i said who decided that michael was going to kick to 15 meters off his 200 freestyle off the last wall Mm. he said mike michael decided and I thought it was great, such honesty from the coach. And he was like, it was Michael's decision. Michael did things in training because he said that's what he wanted to do. Um, so it wasn't coach-driven. That was athlete-driven. And uh, Sarah reminds me a lot of that. She has a lot of things, right, I need to get better at this. Maggie beat me underwater off the turn. I will get better at dolphin kick. Help me get better at dolphin kick. Um, I need to get better at my start. Ranomi is, is better than me at start, and I need to get better. Help me get better. And, it, and it, she's very driven on certain things. And she called, and that's, I think, as a coach, you love to work with these guys. Help me get better. And I think we all want to help athletes. And that's what I, I find with her. There's always something better she wants to get better at, and it never stops. Since I've been working with her since, since 2017, it's always come in with, right, we need to get better at this. We need to get better at that. And, um, and you know, what is she has like an infectious personality to work with because it's a, it's a constant driver. It's a constant driver for a coach that an athlete's asking for help. And you're like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm engaged. And, um, 
and she has what she has just it's just relentless it's and like and it's my, like i've i've seen pt work and sarah work and i'm, I'm surrounded by these great athletes and it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely one characteristic that comes up through in all of them it's just a desire to continually improve themselves and would you say jack roach brought this up that a lot of the great athletes not so much love to win but they hate to lose would you put her in that category Oh, absolutely. She, she hates Lou. She, put, she puts a brave face on it. Um, but, you know, with Sarah, she, she's got some, one thing I really admire about Sarah, actually. She's got some resilience in her that, you know, world champs this year, she, got, she comes second in the 100 fly. And then she comes back and wins another four individual medals, uh, one of them being gold after a disappointment. And the world champs in 2017, she broke the world record leading off the relay. Then she gets beaten in the 100 individual freestyle the next day she comes back and breaks a world record in the 50 she's got lots of examples where she made a couple of mistakes but then she just comes back the next day she's put it to bed she's had a she's got it off her chest she's had a she's got everything out of her system but she comes in the next morning and it's like day one let's go again mm. doesn't matter and, oh, no. and i've seen i've seen a lot of athletes you know great athletes after a disappointment they can't switch off to it even if they swim a good time, the fact that they didn't win or the fact that, and I've also seen athletes win medals and come back, oh, time's terrible, time's terrible. No, it doesn't matter, you just won a medal. Uh, but she's got this ability just to switch off, come on day two, very thick skin, very resilient. Wow, that's awesome. What about yeah. Chad LeClaude? Talk to us about him. Chad, Chad, uh, Chad's, Chad's one of the, the best people I've ever worked with. Every day I come to the pool, it's a privilege to to walk in because he's just high on life you know he's a guy that he's a guy that makes a group better and he makes it he makes coaches better he makes everyone around him better um a, someone that genuinely loves what he does and uh he he comes in he wants to work every day he wants to train hard every day um again uh somewhat someone he's, he's, he's in like a bit of a transition period in terms of he's getting older as an athlete can't quite do the work he used to be able to do but still he, trying to find ways to get better he's he's getting another guy comes in he's giving me ideas like he's come in and he said james you know james let's train with this device and this and this and this and we've i was like chad you've actually found something great here and um and it, you know what it's actually it's ironic i'm sitting here thinking well, we become good coaches just because of the swimmers, really. And I'm, getting, I'm saying all this, like the swimmers give us ideas, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he, he come in every day, he smiles, he's laughing, and he, he's, he's just someone similar to Sarah that they generally love what they do. It's not difficult for them to come to the swimming pool and swim. Um, it's to be in the pool. They, they enjoy it. They enjoy mm -hmm. that, that yeah. whole process. Um, so again these characteristics are shining shining through there's, there's no great swimmer that doesn't love to be in the environment and now, like i said chad chad comes in he's at his attitude is second to none he's there to work but he's also makes everyone around him better and i say it's, it's, it, it makes my job very easy so it's not it's not a job i get to go and coach chad every day so it's fantastic yeah well, there's two, there's two other guys, uh, Ben Proud and Flo Manadu. I want to talk to, about them in a second. I, I was lucky to be coaching two of the fastest swimmers in the world in 2009 in the lead up to the world championships in Rome. I had Fred Busquet and Cesar Cielo in the training group. 
And I remember about four months out, I sat them both down. I said, look, we can work against each other and fight for the gold medal. And I don't know if either one of us will win it. Or I said, we could work together. And I think if you do that, you create separation with the rest of the world between the two of you. And then it just comes down to who wants, who's going to win the gold and the silver. But, uh, but if we work against each other, we may not even win a medal. But if you work, decide to work together and push each other and make each other better and take each other beyond where we think is humanly possible, then I think you could both possibly break the world record and one of us is going to win and one of us will take the silver. But, you know, can you guys agree on that? And they said yes. And so for the most part, for that four months, it was the best training period that we had. And, and that's how it ended up. Caesar ended up winning the gold and Fred ended up winning the silver in the 50 freestyle. Uh, Fred actually broke the world record that year. And then Caesar went on to break it after him. You know, both guys were the first, first guys under 21 seconds in the 53. So, you know, now that you have Ben, who is a, a gold medal favorite and Flo, who's another gold medal favorite, two guys that could potentially win it. What's your approach with those two guys leading into Tokyo? Well, both guys, uh, ironically, they're 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 two um, they're two very different personalities to Fred and Cesar. Fred and Cesar were more of the, uh, I'd say, the aggressive type sprinters. Uh, ben and Flo are both more quiet, laid back, um, sort of less confrontational type guys. So, already the you know it's work it's worked very well over the last uh, Flo started no, not even a year ago, last ten months um, since Flo started, um, and both. Both guys, they, they, they're older and they understand. You know, we work together, we've got a better chance of winning. And the fact of the matter is that neither of them are number one. It's, uh, and like I said before, Cesar, not Cesar, sorry, Caleb, <laughs> getting confused. Mm-hmm. Caleb has, has taken the whole sport to another level, his performances and the ISL, the skins especially. But these guys have got a shout. You know, they have a shout. In a 53, anything can happen. And, and the way they're working right now, uh, like I'm not going to ever bet against them because I can see a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, but generally, they don't really train uh, together a lot because they're two different body types. Uh, Flo is more, he's, he's big and incredibly strong, but he's, more, he's got more floppy muscles. Uh, where Ben is a very stiff, he's very stiff in his muscles and very hypertrophic and more like of a Freddy type. So they can't, if you train them the same, neither will swim fast because mm. you're always compromising one program. So Flo and Ben actually follow slightly different programs. Um, Flo can sustain a slightly, slightly higher training load in the water and he needs to swim a little bit more because of his body type. Uh, whereas Ben can get away with more of the lower yardage because the more aerobic he does, is, it almost makes him worse because, uh, again, because of his body type. Uh, so, in fact, they don't generally cross over too much in the water, but they do have been working together very, very nicely. And, they, you know, they, I think there's mutual understanding that they're both chasing a guy and it's, it's not each other. Um, and if they do everything right and they do everything right in their way, um, and they follow their own programs, they will be successful in the summer. Mm. Wow, that's awesome. Do, do they ever feel or do you ever feel like there, there could be a misconception of favoritism with one or the other? Or how do you balance giving them both equal belief in each other? 
Well, it's, it's, it's the same thing with the whole group. You know, what we, we work as a team of staff. Um, myself, Tom Rushton, Delana, uh, we work as a team on the athletes. And uh, we got like almost have three or four separate groups. And we just try and make sure that, that, that the athlete gets what they individually need while whilst working in the group context. It's very different to, say, an American collegiate uh, team where... 20 30 50 people whatever all dive into the same workout regardless if it suits your body type or not uh we can't afford that luxury because we don't have that many athletes um we got so what we do is we try and make it specific and uh spend enough time with the athlete always ask for feedback from the swimmers how are you feeling what you're doing and generally at this level if they need anything they'll come to you uh i do i do believe that uh, the program is is athlete focused, uh, coach led, but uh, you know athlete driven, and that's how. Especially if you've got a 29 year old guy, as in Flo, he, he knows his body very well. You have an Olympic champion in Chad Leclerc, uh, or Sarah Schostrom, uh, or Pernil Bloom. They they kind of know what their body needs, even if it makes no sense in the textbooks. Uh, they believe in it, so we, you know it's up to us to try and work around them and and build belief in them. And from that point of view, so they feel like they're getting what they need mm. now do you like living in turkey do you, is it a place where you feel uh like you can be successful for a long period of time yeah it's fantastic the the training center where where we we train is called gloria it's the best swimming facility in the world um everything's in house food accommodation uh gym pools um definitely there's nowhere like this in britain so it's, it's privately funded uh, institution it's like and it's a training it's, it's just a beautiful training base everything's well maintained the country itself um I'll, I'll be honest there's a lot of negative propaganda there had been over the last few years about turkey but uh i've started to really since i've lived here i've really started to switch off to cnn and bbc now because i've i've, I've met fantastic people uh people that want to help incredibly hard working people uh and after three and a half years, you know, we've never had one negative experience. Um, and we're, we're very, very happy as this is our training base. Very, very happy. That's awesome, man. There, there was a rumor going around that you guys were possibly moving to Paris. What was that all about? No, it's because we are uh, officially, our ISL team is Energy Standard Paris. Uh, um, and in the, in, the, in, sort of in the long run, there will be a gradual shift uh, more to being based um, uh, more, more being based as a French club, for sure. Um, I think that's the, that's the case with most ISL teams. But we're and they're all in a period of transition at the minute. You know, we're getting ready for season two. Um, uh, really, we've got the Olympics to take care of. Then after the Olympics, we'll, we'll look forward to, uh, to see what what other sort of poss possibilities and opportunities there are in other locations as well. But uh, um, the glory will always be a, a good part of our um, uh, training base for the future, even if it's not full time it will still be still be will still be here a lot of the time yeah awesome how, how did you originally get the job how, how was it presented to you because it was obviously a leap of faith there wasn't anything like that <laughs> around so you you took a big leap how did who approached you first and how did it come about yeah i think it was the job that no one no one else really wanted <laughs> at the time um Idiots. So it came <laughs> It's been a lot of hard work, though, and I'm very proud yeah. of what we've done as a, as a, as a unit. So it was in, in 2012, as a pro, um, Andrea De Nino, uh, who is the managing director of ISL, and he used to run the ADN Swim Project. Uh, he was working with Konstantin Grigorishin, 
uh, on on some other projects um, in in Europe. And he approached said that he approached me because I know I've known him for many years. That this is a job that's on offer is to uh, coach a, a Russian club. It doesn't have a base yet. Uh, there's a base in Moscow, and uh, they come together on a few training camps a year. And uh, you know, obviously, at that point, with some of the issues that around the anti-doping in 2016. Um, you know, I, th I think that put a lot of people off. But when I went to meet Constantine in, in London and I spoke to him about his, his visions for the future, and I was blown away with what he w wanted to do with swimming, to be honest. And um, and I still pinch myself a little bit that ISL has happened and gone already, season one, and, and happened so quickly. And uh, and it just felt right. You know, like I've, I've, I lived in France for seven years. I left Britain. And this this just was almost it too good too good to turn down because it was a challenge you know taking on a, a mainly predominantly Russian Ukrainian club going into a culture where it's already established where uh, I can't really say I was embraced at all when I first arrived but uh, we worked incredibly hard together I worked with Constantine so so hard on sort of transitioning the club more from a junior based Russian Ukrainian to being more uh international and focused on winning medals at the major meets and you know we went from i think we won 13 14 medals at the world champs in 2017 um i can't i, I can't remember i think it was about 30 medals uh 30 40 medals from commonwealth and europeans um in 2018 so it, it, we, it was a it was, a, it was a tough transition. It was difficult for the people involved, but I was fortunate that I had some really good experience of high-performance sport in Great Britain that sort of drove me drove me to make some hard decisions at the time. And it's like, but in, in terms, I made the, the right decisions for the club. And uh, like right now, I'm very, very happy with what we've got. The ISL team is excellent and has come together nicely already for next year. The full-time squad is working fantastically well. Um, and the staff, are, you know, Bringing Tom Rushton in um, in the first year was one of the best things that I've ever done for the program. Also, I fell on my feet with and one of the best gym coaches I've ever worked with in Marco Cosso. Uh, and these guys really, really drive the program forward just as much as what I do. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I work with great staff. Yeah. Is it tough for you now to focus on Olympics and then the second season of ISL at the same time? No, it's, it's just finding finding time to do the right thing. There's one thing with living in uh, living in a full-time training environment. You've you've got time, like me and myself and Tom and me. We've got a meeting planned for 10 o'clock tonight to go through some bits and pieces, admin work. And, but we've got there's more time because you're not you know. It, it, unfortunately, I don't. If you've got one and family i'm not sure this would, would work exactly uh, so i'll be, I'll be blatantly honest to anyone listening but um it just allows us to focus almost 24 7 on the job and making the athletes better and building the team and and i think you know in this environment now swimming is so competitive that's what it takes and it, it all comes down to choices this is our choice it's not for everyone it wouldn't be for everyone but this was our choice and you know we've invested a lot in our lives and we're, you know we're getting some quite good results for it yeah well mate outstanding i'm super proud of you i think i've always been a fan of you as a as an athlete and now as a coach and love love what you're doing always love watching the videos you put out on instagram and other places and just 
uh, just I, I'm a fan of high performance and, and I think you're very creative. I think you do a great job of really connecting with your athletes. And I think that's key when it comes to high performances. You've got to be able to relate and you relate so well, probably better than anyone else in the world. So I think there's no doubt, uh, you know, why the athletes are attracted to you and what you're doing. And uh, just want to let you know that I'm, I'm a huge fan, man. So keep keep it up. All right. Uh, thanks, Brett. And, you know, the feeling is mutual, mate. Always love watching you work back in the day, you know, in 08, 09, and uh, seeing your guys come through. And uh, always always good, always good rivalry, healthy rivalry as well. So, um, it, you know, guys like yourself drive drive us to be better. And uh, hopefully that's vice versa. And uh, thanks for your kind words. Yeah, mate. Well, I know it's late in Turkey, so thanks for taking the time. But, uh, listen, hopefully we can get back together before, maybe right before the games and chat again. And, uh just wish you luck over the next few months, all right? Thanks, mate. And uh, like, like everyone in swimming coaching, uh, we all do our best. And, uh, you know, that's all we try and do at Energy Standard. We try our best. Uh, the coaching profession is one profession where everyone has opinions on what you do. Uh, but I try and put out everyone in every podcast or any interview I do that every coach in the world is only doing their best. And uh, that's just, it's just normal uh, for us. And that's the only thing we do, try and work with the athletes as best we possibly can. Well, keep it up, mate. Uh, good luck, and uh, we'll be following your uh, results closely, all right? Take care. Cheers, buddy. See you, mate.